It's just funny because you usually don't see the older woman and the younger man. Right. Um, and in this case, you do, which I think is it's appropriate Go to Sandra. the story. Go Sandra. Yeah. I mean, she is smoking hot. I mean, she's beautiful. And he looked older. He did. I mean, he, yeah. He, he was also he was a, a very attractive man. He didn't I, look like a baby. No. I... <laughs> <laughs> From Rosemary's Baby and Reagan McNeil, to Jason, Freddie, and Chucky, to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Anne Conley. Hey, guys. And Helen Stewart. Hello. All right, tonight we are reviewing the 2018 American post-apocalyptic drama thriller Bird Box. Film directed by Suzanne Beer from screenplay written by Eric Heisserer, based on a 2014 novel of the same name by Josh Mallerman. The film follows a woman, played by Sandra Bullock, who along with a pair of children, dubbed boy and girl, must make it through a forest and river blindfolded to avoid supernatural entities which cause people who see them to die by suicide. Bird Box had its world premiere at AFI Fest on November 12th and began a, began a limited release on December 14th before streaming worldwide on Netflix on December 21st, 2018. So we usually start off with talking about what our expectations were going into watching the movie and then, of course, the review. So, Anne, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, I'll just start by saying that, you know, as cruising through Netflix one night, saw this pop up as one of their new scary films featured. Um, love me some good Netflix production. And of course, Sandra Bullock pops up in there and you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, Sandra Bullock and a scary movie on Netflix. How could you lose? So I, I thought, yeah, let's do it. I agree with Anne. I was really excited when I heard that this was on Netflix and who the actors and actresses that were um, playing in, in the movie. I was expecting more of a slower film, given the fact that you see that they are blindfolded. But I was surprised when I didn't think it actually went as slow as I thought it was going to go. This movie, in my mind, inhabited the same space as A Quiet Place, right? And I have not seen A Quiet Place, but I've heard a lot about the movie. And so when it came up, I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, it sounds like A Quiet Place, but like blind people instead of, you know, deaf people. Yeah, I, 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 I was mildly apprehensive, I guess, going into watching the movie. But um, we'll get into my, my further thoughts as we, as we move forward. So uh, with that, and you want to roll the trailer for us? Sure, let's do it. Here we go. Trailer time. feeling have you been sleeping any better oh rough then again i never slept well before i was condition condition it's called pregnancy it's okay to say it out loud something's happened can you just please drive did you see something 
can describe seeing an entity that takes on the form of your worst fears. Oh my God. What are you looking at? What did you see? What is wrong with you? Please stop it! We can't stay here. Every contact we have had with the outside has brought us death. Your kids. They deserve hope. Every single decision I have made has been for them. Now it's going to be rough. Hold on! If you hear something in the woods, you tell me. If you hear something in the water, you tell me. But under no circumstance are you allowed to take off your blindfold. A tense mother, Mallory sternly informs two unnamed children, a girl and boy, that they will be going on a dangerous journey down a river in a boat. She strictly instructs them not to remove their blindfolds or else they will die. Five years earlier, Mallory is pregnant and is visited by her older sister, Jess, while painting. Before going to a routine pregnancy checkup, they briefly discuss a strange news story regarding mass suicides throughout all of Europe, particularly Romania and Russia. However, Mallory dismisses the news story as irrelevant. While they are leaving the doctor's office, later, Mallory sees a woman bashing her head into a glass panel. As panic and chaos erupt in the city, they attempt to escape in Jess's car. While Mallory is distracted by a ringing cell phone in the back seat, Jess briefly sees something that frightens her. She crashes the car in an apparent attempt to harm herself. Injured and horrified, Mallory is unable to stop her sister. Visibly affected by what she has seen, Jess steps in front of a large truck, killing herself. Alright, so it starts off and Mallory is in the present i guess right the present which is when everybody's kind of already dead and she is pretty stern as a mom i was like oh okay she means business like Mm -hmm. this is is no joke i was like is are they even her kids that's kind of where i was kind of at first thinking yeah i totally thought the same thing i mean the movie opens up and sandra bullock is screaming at these kids and you're kind of like whoa (laughs) this is a lot to take in this is not what i was really expecting and i mean it is pretty brutally mean to the children yeah and exactly to your point, you're kind of like, are they her kids? Are they related? I don't know where these kids came from. Everybody's kind of dirty. What's happening? Um, and then the other thing that really kind of struck me right from the get-go was as she's shouting at these kids and telling them that they're going on this trip and that they have to get in the boat and they go on down to the boat. That's all part of this scene as well, is that I just felt like it was all very rushed and they were crazy unprepared. And I didn't know what was about to unfold, but, you know, kind of being a mom, you're going, you know, where are the snacks? Uh, Are we taking a bathroom break before we go? Like all those stupid little kid stuff. You know what I mean? Do you have enough to wear? Do you have dry clothes? Do you, you know, do you have blankets? And she goes into like, I guess she did quickly pack some snacks and blankets actually, but you know, it all just seemed really rushed. And of course you don't have any of the details why at this point. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed how they did the timeline throughout the movie. I think that helped with the fast-paced feel of it, that you weren't kind of bored because you have, you know, the beginning and then what's actually happening and then what they're trying to get to. And they, like, intersplice that in between. So that made this really interesting. So you did feel this, like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm already panicked for this mother and two kids, supposedly, because you don't know if she's a mother. And what what are they going to? What is this voice over the radio? Is this voice actually going to take them to safety? How did they prepare with like the whole steps to the river? Mm-hmm. That whole thing was really interesting. So you're like, what is happening? Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, the narrative structure they use where it's the present and they flash back five years, it, uh, it almost allows them to tell two different types of stories. They're telling the future or in the present, I'm sorry, it's like a survival story, kind of like the movie The Road or you know one of those like post-apocalyptic ones. And, and, and in the five years before, it's almost like a zombie apocalypse story Mm -hmm. um so i I thought that was interesting how they interwove those two things together yeah that's a fair point that's really interesting at first i didn't like the time flashes because at first i was like oh like this is gonna be kind of gimmicky right five years earlier and you're like oh okay um and like you kind of didn't know what was going on and where it was flashing but then you quickly see her with like the butchered hair really you know five (laughs) years ago and then the crazy long ponytail five years later so and then of course the children and you see her pregnant so you know pretty quickly when it flashes back you go all right i'm going to assume that at least one of those are her kids and maybe she even has twins Mm -hmm. that's what i was looking for during the um the ultrasound ultrasound yeah sonogram is that an al- like also a correct thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, that's because that was what I was thinking. Yeah. The, the, the ultrasound. Yeah. I was waiting for her to be like, oh, you're twins or, oh, you have twins or something. And then yeah. it didn't happen. And I was like, okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Where yeah. did the second child come from? Yeah. That was a big question. Yeah. And, and then like you guys know, I always like to psychoanalyze the characters a little bit. I thought what was a really great scene when she's in there. Well, a couple of things when she's with her sister, which also felt like I, I always learn more information from these wikis than I get from the movies. I didn't know that was her sister. I thought it was maybe like her gay partner throughout the whole movie. <laughs> well, they referenced the they referenced the boyfriend or whatever. He well, they was. do, but that and doesn't so... mean she can't have a girlfriend. No, right. I understand that, but yeah. At well... first, I thought they were together. Yeah, but then... I did too. But then Once, it talks about yeah. the dad. I guess yeah, the, the mother... dad and the mom and the being yeah. raised together. And but stuff. I also figured that if she was her girlfriend, that she would have known her backstory. So I was kind of like, oh. But yes, you get the Ryan reference. So you know that, okay, at some point there was a dude in her life and, you know, it seems like the other girl, Jess, is very defensive, certainly about Mallory. Um, So certainly being a sister, but even if she was a girlfriend, kind of saying, well, it turns out he was just a roommate, like that jerk, that that deadbeat type of thing. You know, they really do a good job throughout this movie, I think, building her character, giving you some of those puzzle pieces around her upbringing and the really stern father and her inability to connect with people and the fact that she doesn't really want to even be having a baby or doesn't think that she deserves the baby or will be able to love the baby. And you're kind of like, where is that all going to go throughout this whole thing? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately the, I don't want to say the point of the movie, but the emotional arc of the movie is her opening up to these kids. Right. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing. Right. Uh, specifically the girl who is not hers. Right. That she has to forego the survivalist instinct because that ends up being a weakness. So I liked the way that they unspooled this whole um, epidemic or whatever it was. Right. So they see on the news that it started in Romania and it's in Russia, which is interesting that it started in Romania. I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out already, like, what does that mean? I mean – 
what comes from Romania, Transylvania area vampires. I'm like, what's where's why there? And then, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and then they go to the hospital. She sees the girl, you know, that jumps out the window or whatever. Um, and then chaos, right? And very soon it's like whoosh, one after another after another. Everything kind of builds. Mm-hmm. And then the sister, of course, gets whatever happens to her eyes, which I think is cool. Like they show, they go gray, like black, whatever that right. sort of thing is. Yeah, um, the cool irises. Effect. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a cool effect. And then the it's stepping the in front are... of the bus was pretty, yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. You know, kind of how like the irises bleed out type of thing yeah. in mm-hmm. a way. Um, they kind of like get infected. And I agree with Helen's point about the pacing. This is where it kicks it into super high gear, which to your point, right, that we're thinking, oh, we're going to have a little bit of a slow burn. We're going to get into it. We're going to learn more about the baby and the sister slash girlfriend. And then all of a sudden, whoop. You know, right as soon as she's leaving the hospital, the woman's infected. She runs for the door, is immediately like, it's here, it's here. Then the sister gets infected 30 seconds later. I mean, right by the time they pull out and they're down the road and in in movie time, really quick, flips the car. And all of a sudden, you're right into this, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed like this stepping on the gas and just getting right into it. It kind of sucked me right into into the movie. Yeah, it's interesting because the beginning makes it seem very much like it's some sort of infection mm-hmm. or um, or even like zombies which spread like an infection, right? But then you come to find that it's some sort of entities. I like the, the fact that the wiki used the word entities because in a lot of the coverage I see online, they say monster right. or monsters. But you, it doesn't seem to be a monster to me. It does seem to be kind of some, some sort of entity. But you do wonder then why it spread like sort of a disease why did it start in romania and kind of move its way or they move their way or whatever it was across land bridges and stuff yeah because it's physical i mean they specifically say in the beginning it's not viral it's not pathological which i also thought was very interesting because you're thinking man you've seen this for less than 24 hours you don't think this is airborne i mean that could be airborne right and it's still a physical spread i don't know i'm not a pathologist by any means but i was a little bit like okay you know you're putting in those breadcrumbs there so we're getting that it's not viral it's not uh, a pathogen da, 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 da. it's got to be something else i had written aliens but i mean I, th- I guess it's fair to say that the idea is that it's a manifestation even come onto the earth from the earth idea right like judgment day so I, don't know. I, I think it's very. I, I think it's very unclear what it yeah. what it actually is which is fine with me i thought that was cool it's it's either some sort of alien entity, whether it's extra dimensional, whether it's spiritual, purely spiritual, demonic type of thing or mm-hmm. not, or whatever. It's totally aliens. Mallory follows the mob and is pushed to the ground. She is rescued by a woman and led to a band of survivors hiding in a house, although the woman sees a creature and commits suicide by entering a burning car. As media communications go offline, the group tries to figure out what has happened. One survivor named Charlie surmises that demons are the cause. They all concur that simply seeing the creatures can cause humans to go insane and commit suicide. They cover the windows to shield themselves from the chaos and creatures outside. Greg attempts to use the home's security cameras to see outside as he believes a digital image of the creatures will not harm him, but is affected regardless and commits suicide. I felt that the scene with Mallory getting pushed to the ground was was dramatic and traumatic <laughs> yeah i you, i don't know having been pregnant twice just thinking about that kind of like hurt me inside and then this woman who's trying to be helpful is trying to help her to get into the house and then it was just awful the when she just walked in that burning car and then it just exploded there was a lot of explosions i was like is this a really lot. like a, a yeah. thing yeah I, that's just 
for the drama part of it. Yeah, I was almost like, are the aliens blowing things up? Like, what's happening? Right. Like, it was like a lot of unnecessary explosions. I also feel like Mythbusters busted the fact that cars blow up. So every time that I saw that, I just went, that wouldn't really happen. <laughs> But I don't know. You know, we'll probably get a lot of people that are, that are like, no, no, here's the Mythbusters episode where they actually showed the car does blow up. No, they, they do. But what I think is funny is how movies, the, if the main characters are in the car, it never blows up. But it's always like the as other a, cars that wreck and blow up. Right, right. Or, of course, as they've just exited and they're uh, sig- significant feet away. Action movies. Yeah, action movies. To not be fatally injured. Even her accident. Like, I thought, despite oh, the yeah. fact that it didn't blow up, like, but just the flipping of the car, I was mm-hmm. like, how fast were they going down what didn't appear to be a highway? Well, the other thing you have to consider is the sister was actively trying to kill herself. Right. So, like, like she was trying to kind of do the, as much damage as you can do to the car. I will say, I have actually seen a car get hit and flip. Yeah? And it was not hit that hard. It was maybe... Really? Yeah, you'd be shocked. And it was a Subaru wagon that was hit on the passenger side on the light and they were going maybe 30 miles an hour not super fast and just hit it in just that right spot or just the wrong spot i should say that the whole car flipped and tumbled oh, right wow. towards okay. me actually so it was crazy with kids in it i know it was oh, really geez, that's awful. it was crazy but i was also like where are the airbags but right. then i mean she's driving that older car yeah so you're like oh lord and then they're thrown around a little bit with like, do they have seatbelts on? Do they not have seatbelts on? So mm-hmm. yeah, there was a lot of traumatizing imagery. Absolutely. To your point, Helen, it was like the car flipping with a pregnant woman. Right. She's getting out. She's stumbling around. She has to pull her belly out of that car with the broken glass and everything yeah. like that. Then she's getting trampled and pushed down. Oh my gosh. Every time she fell, I was like, nope, going to lose the baby. I know. Just like... Or at least go into premature labor. Like oh. You weren't expecting... Her to just get up and be like, okay, everything's fine once I get inside this house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was intense. So then the woman comes out and tries to save her. And I thought it was a very real moment when this woman's like, no, but she's pregnant. Let's help her. Kind of stumbles down there, loses a shoe along the way. I thought that was just like very real. And, you know, try to help her. And unfortunately, becomes collateral damage. Right. Yeah, one of the things I enjoyed about this movie is that most of the people in the movie are decent people. Even John Malkovich's character, who's an asshole, is still a decent person when it comes down to it. They they avoided a lot of the zombie trope movies where it's like the worst thing there is is your fellow man. Like that's right. what they like to do and like everyone turns into a rapist and a murderer and a you know, a hoarder and that sort of thing. And they by and large got away from that. Obviously the um I'm going to call them cultists or whatever they are, uh, the converted people later on in the movie kind the of serve, yeah, kind of serve as, as, as the bad guys. Um, but, but they had some man on man, right? You get the two, the couple a little bit later and they steal the car. Yeah, but yeah, they steal the car, but they're mm-hmm. not trying to kill somebody. They, they just think they have to leave. Like I, I, it wasn't evil. It was just, you know, them kind of selfish. freaking out and, and selfish. Yeah. So I kind of, I appreciated that he didn't, didn't go too far down. I thought John Malkovich's character was really going to go off the deep end and end up killing somebody and whatever, and it didn't. But to the point, they get to the house, and I'm surprised to see John Malkovich. And I'm surprised to see B.D. Wong, which I'm so excited about because he used to be on yeah, um, uh, SVU. Yeah, I, I know. Me too. I was wondering where I knew him from. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Law yes. and Order. Yeah, I know all these, like, you know these guys, actors pop up, and I was like, oh, man, John Malkovich. I have a hilarious story about John Malkovich I have to tell you offline. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. It's me and my stupidity, but... <laughs> Not for radio edit. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I thought that was cool. And B.D. Wong playing Greg, I, I was really bummed. I mean, you only know this character for, I don't know, one minute or something like that. And then you find out that it's his house type of thing that they're harboring. Also, I don't know why John Malkovich, who's suing him as a neighbor, is over there. Right, and, and he's demanding. providing him shelter. Yeah. Yeah, and then B.D. Wong's husband is already dead somewhere, right. I suppose. I, I don't know. There's even additional backstory that you don't quite get, and you have no idea how these people even got in this house as, as shelter, but we're going with it. Um, but I felt like Greg slash B.D. Wong, when he was talking about the cameras, the way that he was saying heat and pixels, I thought he was saying that they were infrared. And he was like, it's not a big deal, just yeah. the heat, right? And then when he turned them, but then you're thinking there's security cameras. Who has infrared security cameras? Right. They're probably just the black and white, whatever. And then he turns them on and they are. And then I was thinking, was he lying to them to try to like, you know, save them, you know, from sort of the horror and just say... I'm going to take this one and, you know, just deal with it? Or did he just really mean, you know, through the screen of another screen type of thing? Yeah, I, just, I think? just think he meant the screen. I mean, ultimately, yeah. it was a weird, real clunky way of talking about it, I felt like, or overly complex way of talking about it. But basically, he was like, if we look at him in a screen, they can't get us. Right. Yeah. It was like a reverse optics, which, I think which, he said, or something like which, that. Which, to be yeah. honest with you, I'm not entirely sure why it did work right. on a screen. Because if why wouldn't it work? Well, if it's supernatural, I just don't understand the mechanism by which they're transmitting whatever they're transmitting that makes you go right. insane. And, well, exactly. So, so, and I don't recall the specific like scene. Like I remember the part where you you know he sees kind of like the he the earth the, and like the the shrubbery kind of moving. He, he sees the leaves. You always right. see the leaves in the wind and then right. the shadow, so and that's all you see. So you yeah, would think you'd have to see what he's seeing optically in order for it to affect him, but we don't see it on the camera, so you're not really sure what it is that's so, causing it. So I got the I got the sense, uh, and maybe this is just the way they shot the entities, but I almost got the sense that they are essentially invisible or 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 not. Mm-hmm. They're this shadow in this the this wind until they're seen, right? And when they're seen, it's like a veil is lifted, and then. What they truly are is whether whether it's physically seeing or like your soul is exposed to them or something like that. That's what I got out of it. Yeah, I mean, just talking for a second about the whole entity, what are they, and how does this all work? I mean, I thought the same thing that they're right that they're transparent that you can't see them because otherwise Sandra Bullock going down the car, even though she turned around and saw the cell phone, you'd see these monsters everywhere. You'd see them. Right. And so they're definitely transparent. I mean, you can't see them on a regular day until they're kind of up on you. Um, But I think it's at that point, you know, even as that woman says that she was talking to her mom, they say in, in the movie that it shows you the most horrible scene or your greatest sadness mm-hmm. and it causes you to go insane. And they I, say I, that in there. I think that is um, the one character hypothesizing, right? Or it might about, have been on the radio. About the demons and yeah. about all – he's writing the book, right? And he has all this background information about all this – type of demons that, mm-hmm. that do this sort of thing and he's just kind of riffing that's that's the sort of same sort of thing that um about the news uh earlier you were mm-hmm. talking about where they're like it's right. not pathological it's not viral and so it's right. like him giving his two cents about what it is or isn't yeah I, I just kind of assumed that they are you know you they have to look at you you have to look at them and that's how it that's how it works like if if it's one of these things where you know you have your eyes down and they can't get to you you know then you're okay 
which kind of begged the question to me why like the blindfolds were such a big deal like couldn't you just like shield your eyes and look down just like, even I was, close your eyes or like yeah what was the deal with not being able to close your eyes was it like they would compel you to look i, I couldn't really yeah figure that i piece got the impression either. it was like a because at the end where you could hear the voices like mm-hmm. that it not only yeah. messes with you visually it's trying to get so, to you auditorily so that's interesting as well, as well because i i kind of trying to figure out whether these entities are evolving over time because they don't do any of that during the initial sort of apocalypse, right? That's like mm. at the very end, not like not like at the end where they're literally speaking to her. But that's because there are so many people around. There's so much other noise and chatter and stuff going on. I don't think that she's able to hone in on a specific track, right? I mean, maybe they're, they haven't developed their voices yet specifically, but... My thought was that they had – there was just a lot going on. I don't know. Don't you think it, all those nights they spent in that house, that whole crew, they wouldn't be whispering to them saying, come out, come out and, you know, whatever? Like So, like, take say this. You have, like, the people that don't necessarily get affected by this. And you hear mm-hmm. from the story that Jess is a generally happy person, so she would not be one to commit suicide. So maybe because Sandra Bullock had such a crappy life and John Malkovich is a douchebag – like they have so many traumatic issues that they can't like the entities can't figure out which one to choose. So that's why they're harder until they can get them more like more people are gone. Well, maybe that's interesting. Whereas mm-hmm. like other people who have like one single, you know, traumatic incident, they're like, oh, like the woman who went into the car and it blew up, Lydia. Mm-hmm. And really it was her mother because she kept saying, mom, is that you? And then right. she walked into the car. So they were able to pick on her. Yeah. All the really know, good people situation. are the first to go right. type of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Could be. That's Don't my know. theory. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, okay. go, they're going through their uh, prioritization chart, and all the good people are at the very top. They get knocked Easy off first. Easy pickings, yeah. And then all the psychopaths are at the bottom, and they're just going to turn into converts. Could be. As time passes, food supply concerns give rise to the discussion of leaving their safe house. Mallory, Charlie, and a few fellow survivors, Tom, Douglas, and Lucy, decide to go to a nearby marketplace to get supplies. They black out the windows in the car and use the car's proximity sensors and GPS to navigate their drive to the supermarket. During the drive, they encounter some of the creatures, but manage to drive off, arriving at the store. Inside the store, Mallory finds pet birds, which she decides to adopt. Douglas gets drunk and suggests that the group stays permanently in the supermarket, but others reject this idea. Hearing someone call for help, they open a loading dock door to let a man into the store. As the door opens, the birds begin to screech and flap their wings, indicating that they can detect the creatures without seeing them. The man in the loading dock attacks the group as he has been controlled by the creatures in order to infect other humans. Charlie sacrifices himself to save the others, who are able to make it back safely to the house. Later, Lucy and Felix steal the car, effectively abandoning everyone at the house without any means of transportation. I really liked Charlie. Like, he was this whole mm-hmm. terrified guy, has his theories because he's, an auth- like, trying to be an author. Um, but, yeah, he – so he, he ends up, like, you're he's, like, weak. He doesn't want to go to the grocery store. He doesn't want to help the – like, go out of the house. He doesn't, you know, want to put himself in that position. And he ends up saving everybody. Well, he freaks out in the car. I mean, that actor did a convincing job in that car, yeah. like, freaking out. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, he, I know. He was a really enjoyable character as well. And then, of course, I love the whole idea that, you know, they have to debate about – Going to the supermarket, right? They're running low on supplies. They have to get in this car. I love that they blacked out the windows, right? Mm -hmm. They use this paint. They paint the windows. They put the stuff on the inside. The one thing that I was a little bummed about is that I felt like the trailer showed too much. 
I felt like the trailer gave all this away, this entire scene. So even just watching the Netflix scrolling, you know, the preview that they do, they showed you the whole, you know, creatures coming up on the car. And so for me, it ruined that whole scene. I didn't see the trailer. Neither so. did I. Oh. But I could see, I see yeah, what you're saying. Like, that was a really good scene. And yeah. it was ingenious. Yeah. So all I kept on thinking, unfortunately, is there's no way the streets are going to be clear enough for you to get the car even a mile down the road. Like, there's going to be too many cars in the way, too many bodies, too too much going on, aside from the creatures that are obviously, you know, stalking living beings. I just... I don't know. I, that was what was going through my mind as they were as they were going. Although I will say that once the the whatever the creatures or whatever entities descended on the car and you, the proxy, all the proximity alarms are going off, and it was pretty tense. Yeah. No, I totally agree. The whole time I was like, "This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous." Right. GPS wouldn't even work that way. You know, you just showed us the whole road littered with cars. Literally, <laughs> there's no way. And and the other piece was every little bump they were hitting. I thought they were rolling over bodies the whole time. And then they hit that one body supposedly, and you were like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> I'm sure the street is just full of these. Yeah, I think the one thing you have to accept when you watch this movie is that they are going to streamline the effects of not being able to see, right? Whether it's, you know, navigating the woods at the end where she only has issues when the plot needs her to have issues, right? She's literally not just going through brambles and like, you know, for hours and hours and hours, or it's this where the the car can be driven back and forth without completely, you know, not being able to get there. I mean, I think you have to you have to deal with that, you know, and accept it and just kind of move on. Yeah, like they're minimizing the handicapping effects, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, it, it's a little ridiculous, but it was still it was still enjoyable, and I like the idea that they thought of. We can totally black this out and just use GPS. I mean, the idea was genius, right? Go out there, and then they get to the supermarket. Love that John Malkovich beelines for the alcohol. <laughs> That's where I'd be going. Boozed up. <laughs> You guys are the best friends ever. Not to the birds, but to the alcohol. Well, and I wrote mm-hmm. in my notes, why not move into the grocery store? And then, lo and behold, three minutes later, John Malkovich is like, we're staying at the grocery store. And then they Congratulations, kinda... Ray. You're an asshole. I know. No, no. <laughs> no, because, here, because here's the thing. I'm not saying leave the other people. I'm saying go get them and bring them back to the grocery store. I mean, they acted like this was the only run they were ever going to be able to do, and they weren't going to do it again, knowing that they were going to have to take another run anyway eventually. So I don't know what that whole argument was about, to be completely honest with you. I mean, if I was Sandra Bullock and the other folk, I'd be like, hey, John Malkovich, you can stay here, and we'll go get the other people and bring them here. Right. But I almost think it was a nod to Stephen King's The Mist. Mm-hmm. because that's the movie where everyone's right. in the grocery store and there's entities outside trying to get people. Now they have tentacles or whatever. And it's not like they make people go insane necessarily. But I thought that was like their sly nod to that. But then also, I didn't feel like Charlie's death, you know, needed to happen because they're, the guy is kind of trying to force the door open, right? Doesn't somebody have the shotgun? I think it was Sandra Bullock. But I don't think they knew at the time that they... Like, I don't think they, they knew don't that they look. could see him because yeah. they didn't know if he would affect yeah. them. They don't want to look. Remember, they all have their eyes down. They're yeah. like, don't look, yeah. don't look, don't look. Yeah, but look. what's his name runs, like, looks at him and runs at the thing. Well, that's because he had decided you, to sacrifice You walk up to the door and you just put the shotgun in there and shoot him. Like, I just don't think he had he had to, like, hero run and jump through. I, I felt like that was a little much. I know yeah. you had to get rid of him, but. But the point was the character arc, right? To Helen's point was the idea that he was, like, this shy guy. He didn't even want to go in the first place. And he takes him to his super. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I didn't love it. I mean, obviously, I would have much rather have kept Charlie. Right. But 
you know, it was another, I think, just movie gimmick, right? Yeah. Self-sacrifice. I, I thought that he would, given the whole demonic speech that he gave with all the little demons, like that he was going to maybe offer more knowledge to the situation since he was researching it. I wish. So to have that him been killed cool. off was like... Yeah. Oh, he was a cool crap. character. Yeah, he was a cool character. Yeah. Well, you have to understand, this movie's in the survival genre. Therefore, answers are not in supply, right? That's not the point of, yeah. the, of this genre of movie is to supply answers. Yeah, and, and you're right, Ray. We're like in zombie apocalypse mode right now. So, yeah, anything goes. The one other, like, there were a lot of just small things that annoyed me throughout the movie, like the supermarket. One thing that really, really bugged me was that all the windows were frosted. What supermarket have you ever been to that had window coverings? Never. And they get in there and all the windows are already pre-covered and, you know, basically they have to pull one shade down or something. Yeah. He's feeling around the gumball machine for like the one <laughs> shade. Okay, guys, it's safe. Well, that, Oh, it, okay. That's part of that streamlining. Exactly. I mean, every, every place exactly. only has like one window they have to cover. Every window is <laughs> always covered. And it's never like literally you would spend an hour just making sure you've touched every glass and like peeking to make sure there's no exposed glass. I mean, you know, it would take a long time to make sure something was secure. So they had to like streamline that thing. Yeah. So from a screenplay or directorial uh, standpoint, that definitely bothered me, but not enough to totally make me want to you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Now you have to accept it. I think that they left out Olympia's arrival in this section, which I think carries some weight because they let her in. They have a lot of questions about her because of what's going on around them. But they end up letting her stay, which is weird that her due date was like so close to Mallory's. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought at the time that being pregnant kind of gave you a little level of protection, but it, I guess it didn't. It was just a thing. I was wondering the same thing too, because all of a sudden they're literally collecting these pregnant women. And right. And like, is there something to that? Very odd. Yes. Oh, man. That scene was so tense, too. Mm-hmm. When they're, you know, let me in. And you're just like, don't let her in. I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah. She, and she, she, and she gets everyone killed. Yes. Yep. Because she. Yep. Because she lets As she says to, like, everyone. Or I guess it was just to Mallory. I am weak. Yeah, I've weak been, one. you know, catered to my entire life by both my parents and my husband. I am mm-hmm. I am not strong like you. I, yeah. I got to be honest with you. I kind of was. um Offended's the wrong word, but okay, they picked a doughy girl to play this character, and she's soft. And she, I, I felt like it was so stereotypical, it was almost insulting a little bit. Like, I don't know. That was my take on it. <laughs> I really disliked her. I, I was trying I, I was trying not to be completely annoyed and want to like throw her out of the house like you know, by the back <laughs> of her hair, but she just yeah. And, and I mean, being pregnant, you want to feel empathetic or at least sympathetic for her and you know, say, well, let's take care of you. Let's take care of your baby. But, oh, from the get-go, I was just like, mm-mm. Maybe, maybe I just felt like she was a liability as well. But I also, I also feel like, like it. I'm not entirely sure it was in her character to alone open up the door for somebody. I feel like she would have been like, somebody's at the door. Somebody's at the door. Like, I don't know that she would have been like, I'm going to open the door myself and let somebody in. Like, she's weak. She's scared. Like, that seems like a little bit more. The They explain it because right. she's saying. she says it was like that me. That was like me. I understand right. that. I can buy that. But I just, I don't know. So I, I didn't have a problem with her. I guess I thought she was a little annoying in the beginning. But I, <laughs> I kind of thought that this film was very diverse given the mm-hmm. few characters that it had. Sure. So I thought, okay. Give us a doughy girl. Yeah. Doughy girl. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Like yeah, do- doughy or doe-eyed. Do- yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, well both. both. 
But I, <laughs> I, I was like, are you talking Pillsbury Doughboy here? I wasn't sure what we meant by Doughy, but... Yeah, I was kind of going down that line. I just felt like they were kind of, like, fat-shaming her <laughs> character Aww, in a way. Because she was but, so hungry in the but, beginning? No, no. Well, no <laughs> like, but the, wasn't but, she, though? Well, the whole thing, okay. like... But they were. They were, like, fat-shaming her by saying, <laughs> by her awesome. saying, like, I left the house because I was so hungry. <laughs> and then being, like... But I'm she was a, pregnant. A, you're a, allowed to be fat when you're pregnant. But I'm just saying. And, she's and I like, thought I was serving my baby. And all you can think is like, girl. Lady, you could have survived. <laughs> you have a couple like, of weeks. Yeah, yeah, a couple of weeks. That's oh, awful. That is That's awful. awful. Well, but, but, then, oh. but then they're like, oh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm like a, like a big dumb cow like that's kind of oh, like what i got uh, out of it like it was i don't know i wasn't i was annoyed uh, at it anyway i felt sorry for her character the way that the movie treated her but i was annoyed at her character within the actual narrative oh i guess i kind of just thought that they were trying to play opposites with mallory i'm sure they were that like here's yeah. this girl full of hopes and dreams and here's this girl who has no hopes and dreams here's the other thing i think they were trying to do with her character the daughter so in the present time of course, uh, Mallory treats the boy and the girl slightly differently because the boy's hers right. and the girl is this annoying woman who got everyone killed, mm-hmm. daughter. Mm-hmm. And I think when she's like, you know, somebody's going to have to look and the boy's like, I'll do it. And she's like, no, no, I'll decide until the girls, I mean, the little girls seem to like realize this girl doesn't like me. Mom doesn't like me. And she wants me to volunteer, so oh, I God, die. That girl's face. Oh, yeah. so I was, was crying a me little too. bit. Yeah. <laughs> that was just, oh, she so, did such an amazing job. That uh, was yeah. Hilarious. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, I think that was another reason for her character to be how it was. So that, so that you had a reason for Mallory to not just be like, it's my biological kid I want the most. It's more like I also have hold something against this girl's mother in some sense. Oh, yeah. And I mean, not to you know belabor the point, but Cherry on the Sunday is that she wanted to name her child Jasmine. <laughs> Any Disney princess. Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> Ariel. Oh, man. That was, You're going to yeah. go Sleeping Beauty. Just let's go right down the list. That yeah. was so awkwardly embarrassing. Mulan. So- <laughs> Mulan. <laughs> Rapunzel. <laughs> yeah, yeah no i just thought i because i keep wanting to just say sandra bullock but mallory gave her the little i don't know hello kitty type mm-hmm. thing and i just thought she broke character there and started to have this like yeah you know almost like she was taking care of her as a child right before yeah no i, I agree i mean loose, they, they were just, they were friends i, I mean I they that was cute friends. i'm sorry they I didn't really, have a problem with her. They were roommates. I mean, no, but they were, I mean, they were buddies. She didn't, I think they she were wasn't going antagonistic. To, I think that they would have bonded they? further if they had the chance. No. Maybe. Okay. To, to, I would say to the extent that somebody as tough as Mallory could deal with somebody who wants to call her daughter Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> Not like BFFs, but... I mean, better than girl. You are, yeah. I mean, I know, right? And you are in survival mode, so, you, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Soon thereafter, Olympia, a pregnant survivor, lets a wandering survivor, Gary, into the house against Douglas's protest, and the group locks up Douglas in the garage as punishment. Gary speaks of infected survivors who are insane and who are compelled to force unaffected humans to look at the creatures. When both Olympia and Mallory go into labor, Gary reveals himself to be one of the insane people he described. He attacks the survivors in the house and proceeds to remove all of the coverings from the windows. Gary murders Douglas and forces Olympia and another survivor to view the creatures, resulting in their immediate suicides. Tom barely manages to kill Gary and save Mallory and the two new- newborns, leaving all the other dead survivors in the house. 
Oh, man. This whole scene. Yeah. First of all, what? Our old lady doesn't even get a shout out? She doesn't even I, get a name? Like, no, I wrote her name down. Was oh, but... it Cheryl? Is she down there? Cheryl? Lucy? I don't know. That's not, that's not cool, Wikipedia. But <laughs> never, nevertheless, so this guy comes in, and again, you're having this very tense scene. And right, you're immediately thinking, he's a psycho. Because he's telling the story, he killed somebody else, he stole their suit, he put it on. But I was looking at him because I was trying to think, all right, if you're like a crazed dude from a mental institution, you know, have you shaved? You know, would you have any other prison markings? What would that look like? You know, the suit probably wouldn't actually fit you all that well. And the way that they played it off was, you know, that suit was perfectly tailored. And it seemed to fit him very well. You didn't get to see his eyes really close. So you could tell already, I felt like from that first scene, that there was a little something up with his eyes. Mm -hmm. But you just kind of went, all right, well, they're not totally infected, right? But then, of course, they kept talking about the bag, check the bag, which is kind of like your your clue to be like, you know, they got distracted. But that I thought that was, again, a very real moment when you just have like all this shit going on where you're basically like, well, like somebody's like, you know, check the bag and other people are like, get the gun. And somebody's like, you know, throw them outside. And like, you know, you, at this point, I kind of thought it was almost like 12 angry men type of thing. Like you're just trying to listen to all these different voices. And where is that truth? What do we need to follow? follow? What do we actually need to act upon? And I, I thought they kind of did a good job of the cacophony of trying to figure out that scene. So first of all, that actor is always bad. <laughs> like he always plays a bad person. Who so if he? you ever what see him. What else was he in? Because he well, was familiar. Well, he was in Taboo, which he actually didn't play a, a, a bad person. But I do have a question about his eyes. Because I'm not entirely sure that his eyes weren't normal at the beginning. Like I had a question as to whether or not, once you saw his eyes were really green like and weird looking mm-hmm. like i was like were his eyes always like that or was he does he can he like change his eyes to be normal and then change his eye when he gets crazy does his eyes get green or when he looks out there and looks at them does it like give him green infected eye power or something like that <laughs> you know what i mean and also i question his origin story i'm not sure he was an insane person i kind of thought it could be that he was one of the insane people or his story was true that the insane people grabbed him and his buddies and forced them to look. And he was just one of those people who, although not in an insane asylum, was, you know, what whatever characteristics you have to have to withstand that. And he withstood it and then became one of them. I, I was unclear. Yeah, it goes back to your, like, the entities kind of evolving type situation where maybe he was able to kind of become normal for a bit because he was in the house for a while before he went buck wild. Mm-hmm. But you also see it like throughout where, you know, the Tom, I don't want to get too far ahead, but when he's shooting or he sees the entities at the end and mm-hmm. he, he kind of says, I'm going to have to shoot this last guy and then shoots himself. So you're able to like withhold it for a period of time. Well, I think, but I think Gary's was infiltrating that house specifically to right. turn all these people. I and mean, he was bad when he came in. He, he he wasn't like, I don't think he was infected and yet wasn't. I think he was looking, he had to hold it off long enough to get it into a scenario where everyone was distracted and he could take them all out. Yeah. And his sketches, which are pretty much the only indication we have as to what these creatures and or maybe what you see, I guess I should say, when you're looking. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And I and I will say that one of those pictures pretty much is Cthulhu. 
if you look at it. It's pretty much like an octopus-looking dude. Yeah, they were like blobby to me. I was hoping for some more. Yeah. <laughs> All different kinds of drawings. Yeah, I mean, I thought that the idea was cool because the rest of the movie, they, you have these invisible creatures and you are wondering if they're ever going to sort of CGI something for you, you know, by the end of the movie. And I'm always a big fan of the, you know, leave it to the imagination. The mystery of the imagination is better than anything you're going to legitimately CGI for the viewer on there. Um, I mean, certainly not in everything like a War of the Worlds or something like sometimes you just have to see. But I liked that they used sort of that mechanic of those drawings to show you something but they could have been somewhat figurative they're right right there are somewhat artistic interpretations so um it, it was kind of bizarre to me how he de- delicately laid them out like his palette of pictures before he went you know totally on his killing spree thought that was interesting just a little bit too on the nose was like a little like I am doing this to show you the viewer what these aliens slash monsters slash entities could possibly look like. So I thought that was a little little eh, but um it was so cool to yeah. I think get to see I them. I thought that the precision of his laying it out was more tying into his obsession of you know because they kept saying it's beautiful it's beautiful mm-hmm. so it almost felt like he was like. Just like, let me show you the beauty of all this, or I just need to look at all of my beautiful pictures of this thingy, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So I have a little behind the scenes um, knowledge to drop on you. So apparently they did film a scene with Mallory and one of the monsters. Um, the studio apparently uh, was telling them, you've, we, you've got to show us something. You've you got to have the monster in there. You can't do the whole movie without a monster. And so they filmed it, and I guess it was... Um, unintentionally hilarious and so they were like it just it just doesn't work well good i'm glad they cut it yeah they left it out because honestly i would have been annoyed like it would have been one of those where again it's you're like almost all the way to the end of the movie and you're like are we ever going to see these monsters then you finally see it probably in that monster scene i mean i'm sorry in the forest scene where she falls down right and leaves come up because you're waiting for it you're waiting for the monster to appear and i was like i swear to god if a big stupid cgi octopus appears Right? I was like, this is going to ruin the whole movie. I have a description of the monster. Did Go you ahead. get that? He I, was a I think I did. green man with a horrific baby face, and it was snake-like. So I'm kind of glad they got it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Well, in which you, you, it, don't, you it, don't know whether what they're seeing is, is specific to their own, you know, interpretation right. of it, right? Right. So. Well, that's what they're saying earlier. Yeah. So her most horrifying nightmare is a green baby face snake. <laughs> well, that that makes sense because that comes back to her babies when they talked about them seeing their babies as entities, as like the scorpions and spiders or whatever. So it's kind of a relevant manifestation for Sandra Bullock's character. Pretty freaking wild, though. Yeah. Five years later, Tom and Mallory are living together with the children whom Mallory calls only boy and girl, when they receive a transmission from a survivor stating that they are well and safe at a community downriver. Tom wants to go to the safe community, but Mallory fears it's a trap. Shortly after the transmission, Mallory flees with the two children when a group of infected survivors finds them in the house in which they are hiding in and attempt to kill them. Tom manages to kill all the infected, but sees a creature and shoots himself. Mallory decides they have to seek better shelter. Blindfolded, she takes the children, who are also blindfolded, 
and the pet birds to a rowboat next to a river. Their journey is harrowing and dangerous. After surviving raging rapids, an insane infected man, and even capsizing, they make landfall. The entities tempt the children and Mallory to remove their blindfolds by mimicking the voices of loved ones, but are unsuccessful, and the small family eventually reaches the community. Mallory learns that the compound is an old school for the blind, and most members of the community are blind, making them immune to the entities. She also reunites with Dr. Lampham, the doctor who attended her during her pregnancy checkup a few years prior. She finally gives the children names, Olympia for the girl and Tom for the boy, and releases the birds that have long kept her family from harm. Okay, so I wasn't sure if this was just me, but I felt like I didn't know Mallory's name until the girl was calling it. Did you guys know that her name was Mallory the rest of the movie? I had that issue with Tom. Ah. <laughs> it's not until like the very end that I was like, oh, his name's Tom. Yeah. And and it was interesting because when she calls them boy, girl, boy, girl, and it wasn't until the daughter really was like, Mallory. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting because at first I was thinking, oh, I just missed it. But then I was thinking, no, they did that intentionally, that they didn't use her name either at all or often anyways. So she was sort of a nameless character throughout most of the movie, where they did use Tom and Gary and Olympia. They, they used the household members' names, so you did hear them. They didn't use Tom as much, to your point, um, because I actually got him confused with Gary at some yeah. point. But um, so I thought that was interesting just from a personification and from, again, as you talk about attachment, again, one of the metas through this I thought was just the whole attachment theme of her inability to have feelings and, you know, create emotions and attachments to others. And certainly I felt by not naming her essentially through a lot of this film that we as viewers had an attachment issue with her as well. So one of the tropes of the survival subgenre is this sort of lack of names or people not using names often or giving very archetypal names like boy, girl, man, that sort of thing. It seems to be a reoccurring theme within those within those um, stories. I did not know that. I have to say the whole river part was intense. Mm. <laughs> so they like go back and forth and I know we mentioned the timeline before but I do think it was probably to make you feel like it was an extended part for the rowing scenes so that you didn't think that it was like oh only 20 minutes that like mm-hmm. it was throughout the whole movie she's rowing and rowing and rowing. But when she gets to that insane affected man, my god, my heart has little kids and she's got this machete and she's got a gun and I'm like how are you how are you going to take this guy out? Oh my gosh. You're right. That was it was insane. And then the rapids. <laughs> it was very intense. It was intense. And then, of course, just like to your point earlier, Helen, your heart just aches with the scene with the kids. And so they break halfway through the scene earlier, then they revisit again with, you know, one of us is going to have to look, you know, and somebody's going to have to. And all you can think is, Mallory, these are like five-year-old kids. Do you really think, first of all, they even know the difference between right and left? Right. (laughs) And even if they did, your right is their left. So how in the world is this possibly going to work? And, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, Ray and I were even just saying, like, as that boat's going down the rapids, you got to be kidding me. You better have one arm on each of those kids, right? Get your butt down in that boat. Your oars are going to break anyways pull the oars up hold on to those kids like for your dear life and if that boat capsizes just hope to god you have any idea where those kids are yeah i the idea that they would be in that boat not tied to each other was a little weird because that's the very first thing i thought is like you should be tied to each other with rope so that if you anybody falls out 
you are all still together. And that was – and then she – yeah, she's sitting up in the seat as they go through the rapids. Pull yeah. the oars in, get down, hunker down, and just ride that thing out. So just poor survival skills. I mean, again, it wasn't enough to be like, this movie's ridiculous. But <laughs> it was just a survival sort of – And who knows what boating experience she has. Exactly. She might not have known what to expect at all. No, mm-hmm. it's true. And, and yeah. to be honest with you, it ha- I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen to make a, a story interesting to watch. And, you know, that's what you have. So what did you guys think about the radio call from Rick? First of all, you don't trust anybody named Rick in any movie. <laughs> um, you just don't do it. And I was surprised that this guy was a good guy. I'm still right. not convinced he was. And the actor who played him is always a crazy person too. So yeah, I he's always evil. That actor really? too. Who yes. was that? With the crazy eyes. The old dude. I knew he was crazy old blind man. But who? I don't know who he was from either. Oh man, I'm trying to remember. He's in the movie Identity, which we referenced in uh, one of the earlier okay. podcast mm-hmm. episodes. But anyway. I don't remember him. So I was not, oh God. But when you heard mm-hmm. the voice over the thing, I was thinking The Walking Dead. You're going to go to this right. supposedly safe haven area, and it's going to not be a safe haven, and they're going to eat you. Now, yeah. now, now i got to be honest with you. If they just showed up there and Rick Grimes was there as the <laughs> sheriff, that would have been balls awesome. Mm. Yeah, I mean, all I could think is you just discovered, or you knew since Gary, that you have coherent madman zombies out there, right? Like these mm-hmm. alien, cult, alien cult, advocates. Cultists. Okay. Alien advocates, whatever. That are totally coherent. And you're going to trust some, yeah, random dude named Rick who gave you little to no details. Sounded super creepy, too. Asked about the kids. Are some of them children? children? And you're just like, no, no, right there. Children cannibal. Like, no. And obviously Sandra Bullock's character was like, I'm not going to go type of thing. And Tom was the one who wanted to go. So... And the fact that he shot them all, I was a little shocked. I mean, obviously, that's the whole story. She has to go. But you're kind of thinking it's like when you're in those team building situations and they're like, your plane crashes in the mountains and you have these 20 items. Which 10 do you take with you? And you go, no, well, you don't move, dummy. You don't leave the plane. They're going to come and find you. So don't leave where you're. It was almost like, do you have a better chance of surviving to stay? And yes, they set it all up with all the foods going and the and we got to go. But of course, that's the whole point. But on some level, you're like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> well, in the way that they shot the whole thing with Tom, like if you can take your, your blindfold off and you can shoot a bunch of people and you can move around for like, I don't know, a minute without going insane because you don't run into one of these entities – um, why don't you just close your eyes, open your eyes, close your eyes? Like, why aren't they doing more of that? Like, obviously, it's not just being outside that's making them go insane. Like, and he even, like, feels it behind him as it comes up on him, and he turns around and looks at it. Like, close your eyes at that moment. Like, it feels like people can sense it before it, like, gets to a point where it's going to infect you. I know that that's probably just dramatic, the way they had to shoot it to make it feel dramatic. But it, the way they do that, the time... Uh, elongation makes it seem like you could avoid it i think it's also compelling you to look though so it's not just oh if you happen to look at it maybe i, I mean maybe i know i i don't know i, I i'm wishy-washy on that whether it mm-hmm. actually you're actually compelled or not and i was a little bit of a realist with tom scene because i figure he's out there trying to shoot up all these guys he doesn't know how many there are they're running around so i figured you know he's spinning around potentially thinking some other guy or gal is sneaking up on him to shoot him so it was just a natural instinct 
to turn with his eyes open. He had already come to the foregone conclusion, I'm going to sacrifice myself and shoot these guys. But I did love the fact to what you're calling out, right, is that, you know, you can go out and hang out and like walk around with your eyes open as long as one of those alien creatures or monsters or entities aren't around. So you could theoretically, you know, to your point exactly, either open them, close them, or again, listen, go with the birds, listen for the wind, listen for the voices. There could be other cues yeah. Yeah, that could help you. Yeah, if you had those birds in a box, you could just walk with them, and as soon as they start chirping, close your eyes. Right? Like, <laughs> and don't move. And don't, and, and like, whatever. I mean, they just didn't really, they didn't really seem to be able to physically interact with you, I didn't think i mean she runs away from them at the end Mm -hmm. but that's more like because they're so loud and compelling that she had to get away from them more than it is like she feared them like ripping her blindfold off and forcing her eyes open obviously they need the cultists to do that i'm gonna call them cultists they need the cultists to do that for them yeah there was some sort of i guess corporal type i don't know if it was the wind because if the girl when she was about to take her blindfold off because she wasn't sure if it was mallory or not that her hair goes up well, yeah, so, like, something shifted, so they might not be able to fully take off your, but they, they could do something. Well, there's a wind in those leaves, right? That's yeah. You always see that. That's, like, indicative of their approach. And then you see, like, the clouds, or you saw the... It was, the... like, weird that one strand lifted. It I wasn't like yeah. it was, like, her whole hair was blowing. It was, like, one where you knew it was, like... It was almost static electricity, yeah. like, the way that... Yeah, that well, was interesting. Well, and then in the forest at the end, you get the old lost smoke monster effect of all the... All the um, the tree. trees yeah. moving and swaying. Yeah, I was like, totally. how big is this thing? Well, yeah, well, or a few of them. Well, there's yeah. mo- I, I'm assuming there's untold numbers of them roaming around mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I didn't get to talk about back at the very beginning, but... So is it realistic that this type of event would topple the entire world? Because I kind of got the impression they knew pretty early on. I mean, it was on TV. Mm-hmm. Don't leave your house. Stay inside and you'll be kind of safe. And although we have cultists running around, it doesn't seem like their number is huge. It would seem to me that like the United States government would be underground in Washington, D.C. Pretty safe. I, yeah, I mean, I guess it really depends on, like, I guess it's trying to show you how dependent we are on site, but you would think that there would be a lot of people on their cell phones who were oblivious to everything going on, you know? Yeah, <laughs> They're tied to, like, whatever well, we're looking at that. I'm not saying... Would you really a, notice... Well, I'm not saying a lot of people wouldn't be dead. I just mean you would think some command and control structure of the United States would still be somehow in effect. They'd be using ham radios. They'd be in basements. You'd be underground. You'd be in yeah. sewer systems. Like, it wouldn't be this type of thing where, where it was like everybody's dead except for a couple people. What I was impressed about is, like, the water and the electricity and all that was still functioning. I felt like five years later, though, what you see is they have those uh, water jugs with lights in them. Oh. Did you notice? No, I didn't notice so that. So I think they had lost electricity. Okay. And they were kind of making do with maybe some solar lamps or something like that. But I thought that was cool. I mean, definitely staged lighting going on, so it was way brighter than you could ever get with, you know, a gallon of water type of thing. But I thought that was clever. Again, just the little camping trivia there. So I was going to say the one piece kind of jumping forward as well, a little bit to Ray's point, is just the idea that we never got to the point where they shifted to fighting the monsters. So we never really broke, you know, the surface on troubleshooting what was going on or how to kill them or how to deal with them or, you know, whether it was this opening or shutting of the eyes or alternative methodologies. I mean, earlier, you know, they certainly tried through the video cameras or whatnot, but 
even when they get to the blind community, it's really more of a safe harbor. You don't get the impression at all that they're attempting to go out there and deal with whatever. Uh, you know, separate from the fact that, again, you're wondering where are they getting their food? You know, what are they doing for electricity or bathrooms or anything like that with that amount of people there? Who knows? We'll just go with it. But I thought that would almost be, you know, if there was a chapter two, you could imagine that they would then start flipping that lens to doing something more proactive. To your point, Ray, maybe the government is still there. They're just undercover. Maybe they can't get the word out because X, Y, Z, whatever. You know, again, these guys are on the West Coast. You know, maybe the government's mostly under underground on the East Coast type of thing. I don't know. Um, but certainly, yeah, no real discussion on like how do we deal with these guys other than just keeping our eyes shut. That's because you're in the survival subgenre and that's not 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 what they do but that's that five years genre. later yeah. i know i'm just saying that's the, that's the narrative type right is they, they it's not about that it's about surviving it's not about fighting back but but i will say that the blind um school that brings up a good question because you they go in there and all of a sudden they go into the inner like um sanctum yeah the inner sanctum <laughs> which is like outside except it has a you know a iron dome sort of like uh, atrium atrium and it just has vines over it and then my question is what's the deal with the inside outside i don't understand that that's the one piece of the mythology of the entities that i really think i don't understand like at no time it seems like do the people seem concerned at the beginning that they these things can come in the house it's just like if we just don't look outside if we don't go outside and look then we'll be safe like, you, I would immediately think if I open the door, they're going to come in. If I open the garage door, they're going to come in. Like, they're going to get in somehow, even though I don't know what they are. And nobody seems concerned about that. And so what does that mean? What about an aircraft carrier? I mean, I mean, an aircraft hangar. Could the door be open to an aircraft hangar? And could I be standing inside? Can they come in there? Could they not come in there? Like, I don't understand that, that piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it must seem like they had to be invited in. Like, with the, you know. Romania just, yeah. vampires. Exactly. But, I don't know. I mean, I definitely felt like they could come in. I mean, to your point, they weren't overly concerned. But, you know, even with the door, I mean, you know, they could just keep the door wide open if they were all that concerned. I felt like they wanted to keep it shut. Well, they wanted to keep it shut so they didn't see outside. But but also to let them in, I felt I, like. I don't, I, I don't didn't get that impression at all. I got the impression that the only way that the entities were going to get those people who are inside is they sent the crazy people in there to, to get bring them, them out. Bring them yeah. out. Yeah, I don't know. That they were protected by that wall. Because I was like, can't they just climb a tree and get onto that atrium? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that was but, a yeah. little... Well, that was like one bad fire in what? Like, it's just an yeah. iron grating. Like, they could just come... Can they come through? I right. don't know. Yeah. What happens what was... when it's fall? <laughs> right? I mean, I thought the same thing. You're kind of like, uh, that's a little bit of yeah. weak. That whole ending was a little convenient. Let's be honest. So it was kind of done a little bit for effect, but again, you just kind of go with it. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, I know you're saying that this is a survival story and you have all these questions that aren't answered, but I had so many questions <laughs> and I want to know the answers. Did like, you? I'm not happy about this. Like, what what was it about the crazies that allowed them to stay alive even though they were now driven to fanatical worship of whatever it was? I thought they were just like the worst of the worst. So they had taken all these previous murderers and you know horrible people, and maybe that's why you have one businessman <laughs> mixed maybe. in there. Yeah. I don't know, businessman driven to murder. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was kind of like you know my my hypothesis was sort of in the 
12 commandments world of, you know, you're being judged. It's the opposite. And, you know, we're taking, you know, the dregs and they're unaffected and just now being wielded to go out and continue to kill all the good people. Did you just say 12 commandments? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you did. Yeah. 12 I think steps. I did. 12 steps. Yeah. <laughs> 10 commandments. Yeah. I think there's 10. Oh, yeah, there's 10. no. You're going to revoke my Catholic card. <laughs> <laughs> we just added two. It's fine. <laughs> The other question I had was like, what do you, what do we think that the monsters are getting from having, killing people? Like, it's not like they were eating brains or drinking blood or whatever. They're, they're just yeah. killing people. Like, I want to know why, why are you doing this? That's a good point. And like, what sustained them if they were living in any sort of life source kind of way? Right. It made me think on that level, it wasn't aliens, that it was more demonic. Cause maybe because you're making these people face those fears and their sadness that, that was making you happier grow and maybe that's how they multiplied yeah i'd buy that all right helen do you have any other fun facts or behind the scenes things you want to bring up before I have we a move couple on to the of review fun facts um so we all know this was based on a book but the movie actually had a more positive spin but i don't want to re- like reveal that in case you do want to go back and right. read the you book can, you can spoil I can spoil? Spoil away. Okay. So in the, the book, when you get to the blind sanctuary, some people were literally, like, they had literally taken their sight from them. So I guess that would have been more traumatic to see people who had stabbed their eyes out or whatever. I actually think that would be more realistic. You know? I agree. Like, right. if you didn't think about the blindfold system, but I don't know. <laughs> you didn't have Either any cotton take your eyes out or blindfold yourself <laughs> no eye patches around yes. i will bring up one thing i did uh research a little bit which was um the relationship between tom and mallory so obviously sandra bullock and the actor who plays tom is uh travant rhodes i believe sandra bullock was born in 1964 mm-hmm. so she's 54 years old which even if I start thinking, okay, does she have any kid at 54 or 50 or whatever it is? Yeah, but she's, she's not aged to that level. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you guess how old Tom is and when he was born? Let's say when he was born. When do you think he was born? All right, I want to hear with 82. Yeah, 1990. Oh, God. He he's is, a young he is, one. He is 28 years old. I mean, she they is, make a little reference to that in the in the movie, uh, yeah, a little which bit. I thought was cute that she, she was in this crate, but cra- not that she's cradle like, robbing, right? Well, but not that she's like double his age. No. no so get this. When, when he was born, she was 26 years old, almost oh, how old God. he is now. So, yeah. I mean, I don't care. She's it doesn't like matter to me. She's like speed with Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, um. It's just funny because you usually don't see the older woman and the younger man. Right. Um, and in this case, you do, which I think is – it's appropriate. Go Sandra. Go Sandra. Yeah. I mean, she is smoking hot. I mean, she's beautiful. And he looked older. He did. I mean, he, yeah. He He, was also a a very attractive man. He didn't look like a baby. No. I I appreciated the fact that not once did they mention his race in the movie. Right. Like, he he was a veteran. He was, you know, doing his job and... That's what that, and he served the purpose in the plot, and him being African American didn't have anything to do with it. And I thought that was that to me, that's like reaching real sort of parody as far as roles for for actors when you can be an African American and play a role, and it's not because that's an African American character that you have to right. portray. And I have two additional diversity notes. Uh, one, there was actually more than one African American in the movie. Yay. Thank you for not having a stereotypical one check the box. But also, Ray, something you'd be really happy about. We did not have the stereotypical handicapped American. 
We did not have the mentally handicapped American that was like the gifted child, a la Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have that. Which, that'll be in part two because that's going to have to figure out how to fight him. Mm. Fight them. They'll have to figure out how to oh, fight them with yes. some supernatural kid who has <laughs> a blind kid. A blind kid who has mm. some sort of supernatural sight. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I have another fun fact. Um, so, Sandra Bullock was actually blindfolded during this entire like filming. Oh, she would continually run into the camera, oh, and it gave the director, who I want to give a shout out, that was female, uh, a heart attack because over like every night she couldn't sleep because she was just worried about, I guess, injuries. Um, while holding the children, though, she took a layer of the blindfold off so she could see outlines, and they were chained to her so that if uh, like she were to fall or run into something, that they wouldn't get jostled around too much because obviously they were young. Oh my gosh, that's intense. Yeah, like she wouldn't even cut – like the director wanted her to cut holes in so that she could see, and she said no. Wow. So, like, I mean, kudos to her because, I mean, yes, it looked legitimate, and yes, it was legitimate, but – Yeah, I, I that's mean, intense. Yeah. So another thing I, I uh, found out was that they actually filmed this in an actual house. It wasn't um, a stage or a sound studio or anything like that. Um, sound stage, I'm sorry. It was in, a, in an actual house, and they were actually in the house, and it's all – you know, boarded up and painted and, you know, the windows are covered the way it is in the movie. And so they actually had this sort of like captive feeling as they were filming in the house, all of them in there. Um, So it was like that. And apparently John Malkovich in between takes um, walked around with a shotgun and talked to those birds all the time. (laughs) I can totally see that. Of course he did. (laughs) The actor that played Charlie actually thought that John Malkovich's character was talking to the birds. Like, he figured that was in the movie. Like, that he's talking to these birds. That's a thing in the movie. And it, it's not, obviously. He's like, when I saw the movie, I was like, what? Did you cut a scene? Yeah. <laughs> so, and he, also, John Malkovich likes to text bitmojis to people, apparently. Oh, no. I don't even want to think that. I'm just, You've already put that in my mind. That's just not right. I'm just telling you. There you go. John Malkovich bitmojis. John Malkovich riding a unicorn. Um, talking to birds. <laughs> Since, like, we, you know, the title of the bird box and you get that there's these birds and that they're kept in a box and all that. Um, So I had read a little bit more about what Charlie's demons were and what the birds meant. And it says that in many cultures, birds are associated with spirits that guide people from the land of the living to the land of the dead, Mm. which I did not know. I just thought the birds just sensed the demonic presence and kind of went twittering away. Well, you get the whole canary in the coal mine thing I was going to say that, yeah, that's... Which is always On the nose. (laughs) So the one thing I just want to hit on, too, since it was one of the big meta themes was, you know, Sandra Bullock coming full circle with the kids and finally naming them at the end, right? The names of their their parents, essentially. Well, Tom was, you know, her her lover. But I will say the one ding I will give Sandra was just I the idea that she's come full circle and she's now fallen in love with these children and she takes on that mantle as their mother I just wasn't really buying it. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. I just felt like, I don't know, maybe there wasn't enough of just connectivity during all that survivalist instinct stuff going on. But you finally get there and I'm like, she's still like the cranky old cantankerous Sandra Bullock. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm The only uh, scene that they sort of showed you a crack in, in that sort of armor is when she says nobody's going to look and we're going to take the we're going to go by the rapids without looking because that was her like not wanting to sacrifice either of the children other than that yeah she pretty much was 
in survival mode? I guess <laughs> I disagree with the two of you. <laughs> ah. So I felt like when she reached that place, she kind of was able to think back on like when she and Olympia had that connection, Olympia, the mother, not Olympia, the newly named girl. Um, and then she reaches the sanctuary and she's like, I don't have to be in survival mode anymore. I see what my survival mode did to Olympia, the girl, when she almost took her blindfold off. And I realized that I need to be more of the nurturing mother that we had with Tom when he was there. And, you know, when she finished the story for Tom, like I just felt like it was her transition and now she can fully go on to the hoping and dreaming that she's supposed to, you know, that's how she's going to live her life from now on. Yeah, I guess what's difficult about that is she never seemed to be that in the beginning anyway, right? She was kind of didn't want to be a parent to begin with. Right. So you went right from that into I'm going to become a survivalist and then she comes out sort of – it would have made more sense if she'd have – had more humanity at the beginning and then descended into this survivalist mode because of what happened and then came out of it, mm-hmm. I guess, to me. It w- yeah, I saw her humanity fair. through her relationships, not through herself as a mother or through herself solely alone. You know, her relationship with Tom and her relationship with her sister, I think, was enough for me to say it's there. It just depends on the situation and when it's going to come out. Yeah. All right, now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First, technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. Second, impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary or funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And finally, third, enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to see it again? So our scale runs from 1 to 10, uh, 1 through 3 being pretty poor, 4 through 6 being average, and uh, 7, 8, and 9 being good, and 10 being the best. So let's start this by talking about the technical composition. Uh, and do you want to take us through yours? Okay, so I'll jump in. So you guys probably know by now, mostly I focus in technical on, again, technical effects, directorial shots, cinematography. Um, At the end of the day, this movie didn't have a ton of really, right, not a lot of CGI other than when we had the leaves and the shadows and things kind of going on there. We had the explosions that would fall into technical as well, the scenes, the bodies, um, you know, I think we've talked about other movies before trying to overextend themselves a little bit too much into special effects. And I think that their scores will fall because of that. This movie, I thought that what they set out to accomplish from a technical perspective was done very well. So I actually gave this a nine in technical. Okay. Helen? I agree with Anne. I gave mine an eight. I thought that the acting and the plot and, and everything was just really well done. I thought it was all really well put together. It wasn't overly done, like Anne had said. So I, I gave mine an eight. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I think the movie handled a lot of the technical aspects very proficiently. I think the sound design was excellent to complement the fact that they weren't showing the entities very much at all, uh, which was good that they didn't use a lot of CGI. Um, a couple places where the film uh, didn't do as well, I don't think, is with the pacing. I appreciated the split timeline, but I felt we didn't get a lot of time uh, with the other characters in the house. Like it kind of moved very quickly and then they were kind of dead and, and, and moving on. 
Um, I, I like the mythology of the entities, but the whole like what's inside, what's outside, why can't they come inside thing was kind of left unclear. Um, so I gave it a seven. That's still not too shabby. Nope. Okay, let's move on to impact. Helen, you want to give us your impact? Um, I gave my impact a seven. I was pleasantly surprised that they kind of had a more positive theme in this in my point of view. So, like, with this release at the end of the year, for anybody who had a troubling 2018, you can kind of say, look, you could either take the their survival thing and just not live life to the fullest, or you can kind of change your way of thinking and, and be more positive and have these hopes and dreams and get through it. So now that 2019's here, you can start fresh. I kind of took it as that kind of perspective. So I enjoyed that. Um, and then the rest of, the, like, the, this is the way the movie kind of – I don't know, just the whole not having your sight thing and, and how that kind of played out. It, like, that that was creepy. They did a good job being creepy. So that part was also impactful. Okay. Oh, man, look at Helen whipping out, like, the meta real-life overlay. <laughs> Put, putting the rest of us to shame. Um, so for me, I, I gave this impact right down the middle of five. Um, I, I was torn a little bit. Uh, obviously, we've got the other scores to really balance it out. But for impact for me at the end of the day... Right, there wasn't a lot of graphic horror, which was good in this. Not that I needed it. Um, you know, that was you know we didn't have like limbs or intestines or anything like that. So from a gruesome impact, it wasn't super high. From a psychological impact, I didn't think it was crazy high for me either. I love the suspense. Don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed that. But from the whole, does it make me question my reality, so to speak? No. I mean, I thought it was well done, but I I kept the impact pretty warmly in that five area all right so i thought the film delivered on on its impact right it was a tense psychological horror flick and as a parent the whole keep your kids alive sort of narrative is a strong one uh, it didn't lean into the whole normal supernatural horror scares um but this like i said before the sound really helped um sell the kind of frightening nature of the entities um it was gripping it was tense it was i think tragic and sad and frightening and so i gave it a nine all right, and finally, let's talk about enjoyment. Anne. Okay, so as I had alluded to in my last rating, even though impact for me was like a, yeah, I mean, it didn't blow my mind, but I really enjoyed this. I still like the story. I like the fast pace. I like the sort of, uh, you know, 12 Angry Men or even like 10 Little Indians, right? Like Agatha Christie, like you're just waiting for all these people to die type of thing. So I like that suspense and the flipping back and forth. So I actually gave the enjoyment an eight on this. I'd probably watch it again. All right, Helen? I also gave it an eight. I would watch it again. I thought it was definitely enjoyable. And I was wondering if I watched it again, if I would catch something I missed the first time. Okay, well, I didn't enjoy watching this movie. <laughs> um and I probably won't watch it again, barring a sequel. Um, after having children of my own, I have discovered that uh, horror and survival movies where the focus is on like parental figures trying to keep young kids alive is not my jam. Uh, movies like Mama, where the kids, the father's going to kill the girls and commit suicide, and then the supernatural you know, entity takes and kills the father and raises the kids, yeah, not, not my thing. So I actually have like a visceral sort of resentment of these types of movies when they, they play with that narrative. I feel like it's emotionally manipulative. That's kind of how I feel it, what it is. Oh, so the kids weren't that bad in this one. No, not the kids. It's it's the idea of sort of the, the tension around keeping the kids alive. I feel like <laughs> when you build that narrative up, you're it's, it's, it's I don't want to say cheap, 
but it's an easy way to get people to feel scared and like tense because you're you're obviously using these poor innocent kids as like the pawn the bait yeah yeah the bait so anyway um but i will say that um having said that i did like aspects of the mythology so throughout today i've been thinking about you know what my feelings are on the movie and it hit me that this might actually be one of the few successful lovecraftian horror tales so the entities are largely unseen but what little info we have and we're given, especially in the sketches, definitely feels Lovecraftian. It's like, you know, the Cthulhu pictures and stuff. Um, you also have the entities making people go insane and commit suicide, which is a hallmark of, of H.P. Lovecraft's stories, at least the go mad part, maybe not the the, um, the suicide part. Uh, and then there are even devotees, the cultists, which are kind of the mortal people trying to, en- uh, you know, enact the vision of whatever these entities are. Um, and even the altered eyes, which is a callback to like John Carpenter's um, In the Mouth of Madness, when they kind of become uh, get under the sway of these entities, their eyes become their irises become different. So it's even like connected in that way. And I love all of that. So if they make a sequel of this movie and they choose a different genre other than the keep your little kids alive, I'm there for it. I'd watch it. I'd be interested in it, especially if it delves deeper into the mythology and how they can defeat them or at least you know, whatever brings society back. But this movie, I rated a two. Ouch. Wow. Well, then Helen and I are going to go get some popcorn and watch this again. Yeah. You can go watch our Bram Stoker's Dracula. Or <laughs> some cotton candy. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Have at it. I'll, t- I'll take the nips any day. <laughs> oh, Lucy. Hey, that's what I would say. <laughs> I think in a different way. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so just to wrap it up a little bit, um, as y- the listeners can probably tell, obviously Helen and I rated this one a little bit higher than Ray, uh, sharing the love for potentially rewatching this. Helen, you scored this movie the highest at a 7.67. I came in right in the middle at a 7.33. And Ray, you're bringing up the bottom at a solid 6. Yeah, that's okay. It's still a little above average. Yeah, that's not too bad. Good job, Netflix. (laughs) So all in, this movie actually came to an even seven. Which is the same score we gave The Exorcist, which I'm not entirely sure I agree with that, but (laughs) okay. Ah, very different way. Good in different ways. Sure. I agree with that. All right. Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Hilltop Horror. You can also email hosts.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. And on behalf of my co-host, thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time.